the point of this is to provide the best facts-driven show that we possibly can. Ideally, you have a glue guy. Who is good? Hashtag glue guy. Hashtag locker room guy. You can't go sign Bobby Holik to a trillion dollars. You can't do these things. Very satisfying. The absolute best NYR show in town. This is the Liberty Blue. Liberty Blue. Rangers Podcast. Rangers Podcast. With Andrew Shelby. Andrew Shelby. And Nick Zoraris. Zoraris. Fans, welcome to Liberty Blue, the essential New York Rangers podcast. I'm Andrew Chelmy, alongside Nick Zararis. And Nick, they beat Colorado, they beat Tampa, and they almost blew it against Chicago, but they won three in a row out of the All-Star break. But most importantly, Nick, uh, after last night, are you alive? Because I'm, I'm, I'm trying my best. I'm tired, man. I was up to like three in the morning staring at the ceiling like I played in the game. So I can't even imagine what those dudes were feeling like who lost that game. I mean, not to turn this into a football podcast, but for one minute, you know, Mahomes getting the ball back with a minute 52 is about as close to academic as it's going to get. Whether or not you agree with taking the ball first out of overtime, that ultimately we don't have enough data to bear out which is a better outcome. But I think ultimately what San Francisco did is the right call. Uh, As for the New York Rangers, um, Last week's a perfect encapsulation of this season. You don't know what they are. They looked really, really good against Tampa Bay. They played two really strong periods against Colorado. As soon as Laviolette realized he couldn't keep running Goudreau out there against McKinnon, that game really turned around and the Rangers really started to push it to Colorado in a way that they frankly haven't in a lot of games this year. And that's kind of that game against Colorado is the highest end outcome of this group. You play to a push at five on five. Your best players canceled out their other their best players. You know, if you can have Zabinajad play against McKinnon to a push, you take that. I know it took until like three minutes to go for the Rangers to tie the game to make it a push because Colorado's one goal was the McKinnon goal. But if Zabinajad can play that well against McKinnon, play to a push and hope you can find one goal late in the game. That's about as good as you're going to do as a one-line team like the Rangers are right now. And that's not a knock on the third line, which has been really good over the last few weeks. But I don't expect them to contribute goals. If if you get goals from Brzezinski, Kako, and Cooley, that's a bonus. If the way the Rangers are set up right now, when they are playing good teams, it is going to have to be a war of attrition and try and slow this game down to basically a 0-0 game. And that's what they did a really good job of. But then you see the other end of that against Chicago where they got out to a decent lead. They got a little comfortable and simple mistakes. We talked about before we started recording the Felino goal. He put his shoulder down, pushed Eric Gustafson out of the way, deflects that one. And then on the second uh, second goal in the third period that ties the game, they had three chances to clear the puck. Miller engages with the puck carrier in the far right corner. He has two chances to get the puck. He doesn't get it. Gaudreau goes over there to try and clean it up. And Miller, instead of getting back closer to the middle, stays in no man's land between the puck and the net in between him and Truba, where he should have gone closer to the middle as opposed to directly in front of Truba because you're taking two plate guys into one space and leaving all that empty space. But at this point, I am not in a position where I'm going to get mad over one game because this is what they are. They These are the same mistakes over and over again. And if they are not mad enough to change what's not working, 
why should I care? Why should I get mad if they're not mad enough? You know, at the end of the day, that's how, that's where I'm at with this group. I don't know what I'm going to get on any given night. And when you play Chicago like that, after playing Colorado and Tampa, the way they did, I don't know what to expect from this group. And I don't think they do either. Again, we, and we talked about this before we hit the air, but when you can play so well against Colorado and against Tampa Bay, two teams now, Tampa Bay, you know, might not be the cup contender that they have been the past few years, but they're still a dangerous team with dangerous players on that roster. And you play against Colorado, who, yeah, I mean, they've lost their last few, but they're still one of the top teams in the league. They had a rough couple of periods, but their third period was pretty dominant against Colorado. They couldn't really do anything to stop the Rangers from controlling most of the play in that period. When you can play like that against some of the best teams in the league, why then do they choose not to do it consistently? Because at a certain point, it's a choice. You can only play one who's in front of you, and two, like you can play. You have to play your game, and the Rangers played their game against Tampa. They played their game in the third period against Colorado. They won both of those games. They played their game for the for some of the time against Chicago. They got out to a 3 to 1 lead and then in their heads, oh the game is over. Oh it's fine. And then Chicago tied it up and then they had to, you know, hero play to win in overtime. Like it, it's a very strange team that just they know they have it. They know they can do it and yet they just ultimately sometimes choose not to. It's just a very strange team that you don't know what you're going to get out of them. Like you said, game in and game out. Sometimes they look really good defensively. And then the very next night, they come out and they lay an egg defensively. Or there's three games in a row where nobody does anything of note at 5-on-5. Five five. And then the next two games, they look really good at 5-on-5. Five five. And you're like, oh, well, where was this three games ago? Uh, you know, the last three games, what's going on? No one, like, it's, it's very tough to read. Imagine playing the Rangers. You're like, oh, well, is this gonna which which version of the Rangers is gonna show up? Like the other team has no idea. The Rangers have no idea. No one has any idea. Eat Arby's. All right, I have a question, a philosophical question for you, based on what we just talked about. Yeah, we talk a lot about we're okay with Zabin, with um Trocheck, Panarin, and Lafreniere kind of being bad defensively because they generate so much offense. Do you feel the Rangers are in a position right now where they can afford Zabin, Ajad, and Kreider to really try and only worry about defense if they're going to play them against the other team's best line and effectively trade offense for good defense? Do you think the Rangers are set up in a way where that can be a viable strategy? Because that worked. They Zabin, Ajad, and Kreider controlled play when they were on the ice out there against Nathan McKinnon. Sure, McKinnon had a couple of flutters. He made some really nice plays, especially late when they were trying to put that game away, make some zone entries, carry the puck in, make guys miss, that kind of thing. But do you think the Rangers can do that strategically as far as using that first line against the other team's best line and then hoping they can find offense somewhere else? My question is this. <laughs> Answering a question with a question. Interesting. My, my, answer, my answer is this. It, what was... Kreider and Z what were Kreider and Zabinaja doing offensively before then at five on five 
because they had good underlying numbers in the last week. Like I know that's not really yeah. gonna that's not gonna make a lot of people happy, but they were on the ice for two goals for and zero goals against in three games. They had a decent share of the scoring chances. They had a fifty percent of the high danger looks. I mean, eventually the puck's gonna start to go in for Zabinjad. He's shooting a little bit underexpected, but. I, I agree. I understand what you're saying. I understand your point of if they're not generating a lot offensively to begin with, what's, you know, a little you less. You might offense. as well go all in the, yeah. on, on the defense. If your if your first line isn't a, a world beating first line, the kind of first line that is really scary to play against I, at that point, like you might as well just go all in and be like, OK, well, we're not going to score a five five, but neither are you. We're just going to let the second line do it. Like if that's. If if you really want to push all your chips in on that, like I, I guess because it, at this point, every the book is out on the Rangers. It's not like it's it's not like we have the secret and no one else has it. Every other team knows that Zabinajad's not shooting the puck from dangerous areas. Kreider's not using his speed as often as he should be, or, or his strength as often as he should be. And Kapokako is trying his best to 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 you know, push the offense forward for the other two. But if, again, but if Zabinijad's not shooting from where he needs to be, and if Kreider's not using his skill, then, you know, there's only so much that Kako can do to to, to be that the, the, the glue guy on that top line. So at that point, I guess you might as well just go in all defense because it's not like they're generating, you know, a bunch, uh, so many threats a game offensively anyway. So something else off of that idea, and we talked about it in regards to the Colorado game in particular because they did a good job defensively in that game. The issue with trying to play that way, to trying to grind a game down to a slog, to turn it into a one nothing 2-1 type of game, is you have less room for error. When you try and be a defense and goaltending team, and Quick was good against Colorado, we should say. He was very good against Colorado. Shesterkin was fine against the Blackhawks. The first goal, the first two goals, I don't really fault him on. The third one, he probably should have had, but, you know, we're splitting hairs at that point. But when you try and win on defense... I mean, if they they just play a little better defensively in front of him, then they just win in regulation, the game is over. And and Valakat also talked about this in the postgame, where... You know, if you're Sir Sturkin, the game is three to one. You're feeling good about yourself, despite you know the like your your stats not, might not be incredible because the Blackhawks didn't have 86 shots on you, right? So the one goal that went in prior to that, there was just uh, there's no nobody on the planet stopping that shot. Okay, so that one goes in. You can't blame yourself. Nobody, you know, it's it, ha- these things happen. The Rangers win that game three to one, and Sir Sturkin's feeling good. Okay, so now you you start, you get the ball rolling, you only give up one goal. Now you're playing against Calgary. Okay, so now you carry that over. We're we're good to go. But that can't happen anymore because the Rangers broke down defensively in the late stages of the third period and let Chicago come back into the game. They got a point out of it. Now you know the ex the point for Chicago doesn't matter. They're not gonna make the playoffs. Like. Yeah, that's you know the Rangers lose uh, maybe a potential uh, a tiebreaker because now it's not a regulation win, it's overtime. What like whatever. If you want if you want to do that, that's that's fine. But think about it from 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 Shostakovich's point of view. Instead of giving up one goal, uh, the goal that there's no shot of you ever stopping. Okay, well now you go up two late in the third. Okay, well you win, but you don't feel too good about it. And now you get to Calgary, a team has been playing better as of late, and they have the ability to score a bunch of goals. Now they're angry after the after the Lindholm trade. They they got they're they're playing you know because they want to prove to themselves and, and to the city and whoever 
that you know that they're that they're a good team. They're playing better. So it, it's it's a different mindset coming in for Sisterkin because of the way the third period against Chicago went. If you want to argue you should have the third goal, we can have that discussion. But overall, the Rangers broke down defensively, and as a result, made Sisterkin look worse than he did. And he played. It- in addition to talking about the deployment and how we think about how we want to use guys defensively, and we talked about it in regards to Zabinijad and Kreider being against the other team's first line, I understand the idea that you want your most physical players on the ice at the end of games because in coach parlance, those are the guys who are going to be most willing to engage on loose pucks, tie guys up, drag the game down to a slog, and really kind of out just outright bully the other team out of possession and forcing their way. But when you go and look at the results of Truba and Gaudreau on the ice with a lead, we're talking about they do not ever have the puck. There are 30% scoring chances, 40% expected goals, excuse me, 30% scoring chances, 33% expected goals, 40% high danger. And that's with they've been outscored four to one in games with a lead. They've had been on the ice for 89 minutes, Truba and Gaudreau with a lead, and they've been outscored four to one in that window. And that's with decent goaltending at 913. My question I have for you, I think a part of that issue and something that I and I tweeted about this earlier today that Laviolette needs to get through his head is that he has an actual checking line that's good. They should be using Brodzinski, Kako, and Cooley as their all right, we're salting this game away line. And I understand the coach doesn't want to put a rookie out there. He doesn't want to put Brodzinski, who you know is a career AHL to this season, and put Kako out there with a one goal lead. But if you're not going to put Zabinijad, who you say is your best center out there, or Trocek, who's your best face-off guy because you think Trocek, Panera, and Lafreniere is too much of a defensive liability, you got to be having either Zabinijad out there or Cooley out there with a minute to go with the other team with the net pulled. And those are the only two forward lines I want to see out there. And in addition to that, if Trouba is going to insist he has to play with Miller, they can't be on the ice at the end of games. It's that simple. And I think Miller has a lot more to give. I think Miller's having a really rough season. A lot of it is decision-making. A lot of it is just not feeling the game properly. But if he is this inconsistent, you can't have him and Truba out there at the end of games. If you want Truba out there, he's got to be out there with a different partner because the decision-making just hasn't been there for Miller. And at that point, you know, let's get our best players out there in these key situations. Let's get Zabinijad out there. Let's get Fox out there. And let's go down with our best players. It it has always frustrated me that teams will put their veteran, their physical guys on the ice at the end of games because the coach trusts them more when that's all it is, is trust. It's not based on any evidence. It's not based on any statistics. It's just, it's frustrating because you're looking at the TV as a Ranger fan thinking, oh God, we have Goudreau, Trouba, Vizi out there with a one goal lead and the other team's got momentum. That's just not where you want to be if you're supposedly a good hockey team. What was the question? There isn't a question. It's <laughs> you know, what he's, he's, No, no, you started off. like, here's a question for you. Okay, well, what, what, was, the, what was the question, sir? The question is, at what point do we get to reality as opposed to feeling? Bro, like, we, don't. we don't. We don't. <laughs> we don't. Because that's that's how coaching in in pro sports goes. It's it's a lot of it. A lot of it is is based off of feel. A lot of it is based off of well, I think therefore this is the right play. No matter how much we ha- empirical evidence we have to d- to to go against the feel and the you know and the and the the vibes 
of the situation, like the the, fa- the facts don't care about your vibes. Like that's just put that on a t-shirt, put that on a hat. It's the truth. Like at the end of the day, Truba and Miller are inconsistent. They they have been as a pair for multiple multiple seasons. We have a stack of data at this point to show that they are at best an inconsistent pairing. And if they continue to be, if they continue to push the agenda that they have to play together, okay, then move them down to the bottom pair because I've had enough. I've had enough of this truly. Where they'll they'll, they'll look good for like three shifts. And then, you know, the, the confidence goes back up in, in La Violette to, to put them out there for 10 more. But in nine of those shifts, they look awful. But, oh, well, they just had three good shifts, so it's fine. We'll just keep putting them back out there. But that's not how this works. Like, we have a mountain of data to suggest that they, as a pairing under Gallant, you know, for, for as long as they've been a pair, they've been inconsistent. This is who they are. This is who they continue to be. So why would you put your most inconsistent pairing out there to defend a lead? Doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. And I understand, you know, like we talked about the Chicago goal, uh, the Felino goal, he pushed Gustafson out of the way, essentially said, no, nah, this space is mine. I'm taking it. And they scored the goal. And Gustafson was, you know, essentially a traffic cone out there for that goal in particular. And maybe you, you watch that and you go, well, well, I don't want him out there in the second pairing. Okay, well, then now now we're getting somewhere. Because now you identified a, a, a problem with on the defense. Now you've identified that, okay, Miller and Truba are wildly inconsistent and putting them up against the, the other team's best players when you're up a goal is not ideal. Okay, if you don't trust Gustafson to do it either slash Schneider slash Jones... Okay, well, now either you keep doing the same thing, expecting different results, or you go and you find a different defenseman that you trust more. Those are your two options if you're Chris Jury, because right now the the Rangers are trying the same thing, expecting, hey, this time. Oh, but this time it's gonna it's gonna be different. I promise you. This time it's different, and then the same thing happens, and they go, oh shucks, we'll try it again tomorrow. This is what they're doing. In addition, something based off of that I wanted to talk about, and I got a lot of feedback about where people think the Rangers are when I tweeted a hypothetical trade I fucked around with making on Cap Friendly. I got a lot of feedback from people saying this Rangers team is not good enough to sink significant assets into at the deadline that people want to add at the deadline but based on the prices that are out there they would rather take flyer type guys you know like a tommy novak somebody who is a gamble on upside as opposed to paying the price of an established player whether that be tarasenko henrique vetrano eberly etc so my question to you is are the rangers in a position where they can afford to be kind of speculative and passive at the deadline because I I thought we were raising our expectations here. I thought we fired the coach last year because going out in the first round wasn't good enough. And this team has clear holes. Blake Wheeler is getting first power play and first line minutes in, you know, February of 2024. The third line, though it's decent, Johnny Brodzinski is a career AHLer and he's 29 years old. They get decent results, but you need that third line to be able to contribute offense. The fourth line is a black hole. If we aren't going for it this year, 
what was the point of firing the coach and bringing in guys like Wheeler quick and who had all this experience and are supposed to be leaders. And I just don't understand this perspective that even though they haven't been that good in the first half that, well, they haven't earned reinforcements. They, they aren't good enough to justify burning first round picks and good prospects. I mean, what's the point then? Are we just going to roll in with, Average replacements? Are we really going to do Blake Wheeler on the first line and the first power play in the playoffs? I don't, I don't understand I, that perspective. I, I don't think it. The question. I think the question doesn't matter, and I'll tell you why. I think the question is irrelevant because Chris Shuri will be active at the deadline, and I think he will go big game hunting because that's his objective. I don't think it matters. I think the question of can the Rangers or will or should they be speculative? I don't think that question applies because he his boss is, is Jim Dolan and Jim Dolan wants results. So I think Chris Drury will find will do anything in his power to, to bring in the best talent that he can to this team. I don't think he's going to to go after small improvements or, you know, maybe finding trying to find diamonds in the rough. I think Chris Drury is going to do his best to trade for one of these established guys, maybe bring back Tarasenko, maybe bring back what you know, Vatrano or whether it be Eberly or whoever it is. I just don't because of the direction of the team, because they fired Gallant, he has no he has no, you know, leeway to be speculative. This this is the season. Because and we talked about this before. It, okay, you fire your head coach after you after you get bounced in the first round. Let's say they make more moves now and you get bounced in the first round again. Now what do you do? Like that this this is this is a really critical year for Chris Drury because this is this is the core that he's chosen to go with and if it doesn't work like it, it didn't work with one head coach. You decided that that head coach is your, is it, you know was the problem which to a certain extent he wasn't helping. So okay, you get you 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 Change your head coach to somebody else, but if you get the same results, okay, well now it's on the players. So you you make all these moves, you bring in the players, and and they fall short too. Well, there's two options: either you bring in a new general manager to completely change the team, or you can you change some of the core. Because if you don't change the core, you bring back everybody again. You're and you're going to expect different results. Oh boy, do I have a surprise for you. I think that's the issue. I think that is the fundamental underlying issue of this team and the way it's constructed. Individually, when you look at this team, you talk about Zabinijad, Kreider, Panarin, Trocek, Fox, Truba, Shesterkin as your core pieces, your fundamental building blocks that the rest of the team is oriented around that you are trying to find the exact right mix of guys to go around that group. That's been the strategy, that these are our guys. The issue isn't that these guys aren't good enough. It's that we don't have the right supplementary pieces. Two years ago, they did the, we're going to get guys to amplify our existing talent. The Vetrano, um, Andrew Kopp, those guys were brought in to make the guys that were already here a little bit better. Last year, they brought in individual talents that they thought were better than the guys they had in the existing spots, which I would argue they were. Tarasenko, more talented than who they were playing on the first line. Patrick Kane, though, I didn't agree with the move, more talented physically than the players they were playing with uh, Panarin and Trocek last year. So they have tried both avenues of it. They have tried to amplify the guys they have, which if they go out and add, I think that's the path they should be looking to go towards. I would be more in favor 
favor of of a Toronto or an Eberle than I would be a Tarasenko. And they have tried the individual talent, which in this case, I don't even know, I guess would be Tarasenko because there's not really any other individual talent type guys that are available at this deadline. I think this is your your point of no return, your Rubicon of this core isn't good enough if they don't get at least to the second round this year. And it sucks that, you know, I and this is something I talk about a lot, but I'll reiterate here. It's not that I don't like these guys. You know, I like Mika Zibanejad, the person. I like Mika Zibanejad, the hockey player. I've strongly stated and staunchly written about this for four years now. I don't think he's a first-line center on a Stanley Cup winning team. I don't think Vincent Trocek is a second-line center on a Stanley Cup winning team. And that's not a knock against these guys. They are supremely talented. They are both going to have close to, if not more than point-per-game seasons. But when you look at the bar to win a championship, the bar is all the way off of the screen. The Rangers are a good team. I don't know if the guys they have in their core are capable of being great for the two months it takes to get to winning a Stanley Cup. And that's the issue here. The Rangers are a good team. Can they be great for more than just a game here and there? I don't know. And whether or not you think adding one more forward, two more forwards to this group is going to get them there, I don't think one or two guys is getting that much more out of the guys that are in place already. And that's the thing is the Rangers right now are third in the Eastern Conference, 33-16-3, but we're not looking at it in a a game-by-game basis. We are looking at the season as a whole and going off of prior results and saying, can this team come April play really well for two months and deliver a Stanley Cup to this team. And that's that's the lens that we're attacking this from. And, you know, we might seem, ne- we might seem oh, like they, they hate the Rangers. They, they're so negative about the Rangers. Oh, look, they keep winning, but they're so negative. It's like we're not being negative because we like to be negative. We're, we're being negative because this is the... But we're not even being negative, like, though. Well, that's like, the thing. It's just like it's the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is, is that like the, these are the points that the Rangers have at their disposal this is it this is the black and white truth of the new york rangers and whether you like it or not we're here to talk to, we're here to talk about it the rangers right now are a comprised of a core that hasn't gotten it done in the playoffs and continues to be inconsistent at best throughout a large throughout large portions of the regular season and then come playoffs they like last season they th- all talked about the switch that was supposed to get flipped, never got flipped, and they got here. They're like, oh, yeah, I, you know, we're, we're, we're so angry at how we played last season and this switch that never got turned on. We're here to prove you wrong, and they did it for two months, and now we're back to where we were last season with the same problems. So this, the problems that they've had, they've continued to have, and at this point, they're – Pretty much unfixable unless you ch- unless you wildly want to change your core, which I'm not. Listen, it, Chris Drury, I'm sure has plans up his sleeve. I don't know if there's something as crazy as trading Zabinajad or Trouba or whatever. But if if push comes to shove, if if Dolan's like, if you don't make it to I don't know the conference finals this season, you're out. He might try it. I don't know if it'll lead to success, but he might try it. But otherwise, like, this is the team. These are their problems. If you don't like their problems, either fix them or, you know, don't watch. It's, and it's not that I don't think this group is good. Again, we are talking about winning a championship. 
something this franchise has done four times in about a hundred years of existence. It is not easy to do. It is really difficult to do. And that is not a knock on these guys. But the expectations from the organization are that we are trying to win the whole thing, that we think we can be the last team standing come the middle of June. And all evidence based on how these guys have played for the bulk of their careers. And it's not like this is the team from two or three years ago where, you know, Miller, Fox, Kako, Lafreniere, Heedle, they're all in their early 20s. We don't really know what they are yet. They haven't been in the playoffs before. We don't know exactly how good they can get. For the most part, I think other than Lafreniere, everybody who is playing a significant role on this team is who they are at this point. I don't think there's another level to pretty much anybody. Maybe Will Cooley, but he doesn't play a, that big of a role. Maybe at some point down the road, he can become a 20-goal guy as opposed to a 15-goal guy. And like, yeah, that's good. That's You need that from your bottom six. But if we're talking about the margins here, I don't think talent-wise, the Rangers are going to be able to match up with some of the teams they will come into uh, come up against, and that means we're going to be on the white knuckle, hold on to your butts type playoff run, which the Rangers were really good at for a long time, where they weren't better or more talented than the teams they were playing a lot in the playoffs under Vigneault, under Tortorella, but they had enough guys that they could turn every game into a rock fight, and they had 30 in that, which helped a lot. But beyond that, there wasn't like, oh, I think they're going to do this because X or Y. It's Hank's going to give up one or two goals. Can we score three? That, that, was the, that was the formula. And right now, they don't even have Shesterkin playing at a level where I would feel confident. And that's it's just it's so frustrating because you hit it right out of the gate when we were talking about it. The cape of the potential to be better than this is there. But it is not hit all of the time. It would like be going, it would like being to go see Led Zeppelin in concert and like they only play Stairway to Heaven once every five shows. Like if I'm going to see Led Zeppelin, I want to see Stairway to Heaven, but the Rangers only play it once a month. That that's really the conundrum we're facing here. Well, that and sometimes they they miss the notes. <laughs> it's like we know they can play the song. We've seen them play the song. We have evidence. We have the tape. <laughs> of them being able to play the song in crucial situations. And, and let's say, you know, let's, let's say you see, you go see Led Zeppelin and there's a hundred thousand people there to, to, to watch them play and they play it well. So we have the tape. Oh, look, they just played a, a, a massive football sized stadium packed, sold out. And they played the song really well. And then the very next day they'll come out, they'll try to play the song and they have to restart nine times because they keep messing up the intro and the drummers off beat and the, and the guitarist, you know, is missing notes. It's like, wait, what happened? You just, you just showed that you're good at what you do. What? But you have the potential. Like, where? Where's the consistency? That's what we're talking about with the Rangers. We've seen them demolish 100,000-seater stadiums before. But then they play the next night, and they look like ass. I don't... It doesn't make any sense to me. Okay, I have a question for you. Yes. Based off of that idea of consistency. If someone is consistently inconsistent, that would make them inconsistent. The problem for the Rangers is, I think what we're talking about as far as consistency, we're talking about it in the context of consistently good. I think the issue the Rangers have is 
they are consistently good. And what separates, you know, Sasha Barkov from Mika Zabinijad is that Sasha Barkov is consistently great. Mika Zabinijad is consistently good. And I don't necessarily even think it's consistency that's the issue. I just think that there are guys who operate on a higher tier than what the Rangers have, which makes their margin for error smaller. And that, I think, is the root of a lot of these issues. When we talk about the Chicago game, for example, most teams put that game away at 3-1. Most good teams find a way to put that away. But because the Rangers are only good, they're not great. They don't have that killer, we're going to find that last goal and put this away. We're just going to try and hang on. And I think that's the issue. I think they know their limitations. And I think that is actually a particularly good insight into why they're using the lineup the way they are. I think they are genuinely trying to hold on till reinforcements get here. And that's why we're seeing Blake Wheeler stay on that first line, because I don't think Kako's going back up there. I think I'm operating under the assumption that they are going to add a first line right wing. Wheeler is going to either the third line or the fourth line, and they will figure something out. I don't think Kako going back to the first line is on the table because what's there to lose at this point? And that's why I think they're opting for the safe choices in a lot of these situations, which is what's biting them in the ass against better teams. You know, I, I know I hate I hate keep going back to the Carolina and the Vancouver games, but Vancouver and Carolina didn't play great. They just let the Rangers shoot themselves in the foot over and over again. And that's really the story of this team. When they find ways to win, it looks great. But when better teams just let them play, they make enough mistakes that it loses them games. I think the the biggest thing that separates guys like Barkov from guys like Zibanejad is not not even the like the clutch gene. You can you know put that I, aside just for talent. a second. Barkov's just a but, better player. But, sure. Also, the takeover gene is really important. When you look at guys like Barkov and you know McKinnon and guys like that, they look to take over a game whenever even the slightest opening get you know appears in front of them when they have a little bit of ice space when they have a little bit of a window when they you know when they're down a goal and they're pushing got the the top echelon players will find ways to create offense for themselves and for their team the thing about guys like Zabinijad is they have a very good base of, okay, on a night-to-night basis, Zibanejad is going to be a good player. He is going to be somebody that is reliable at both ends of the ice. He can, he, you know, his passing is always great. He's always looking to create offense. But but, but guy, what the problem with guys like Zibanejad on your first line is they don't look to take over games as much as these really, really high-tier players do, and that's the biggest difference, especially come playoff time. You saw guys like Matthew Kachuk in Florida last season where he he took over the game every night. He was one of, if not the biggest catalyst to that cup run for Florida last season. He took over every single game. I would be floored. My jaw would be on the would be breaking my, my floor if I saw Zabinijad do that more than a couple times. And that's the biggest difference. That, that, that's the biggest black and white difference that, that you can make between these kinds of players. When the time comes to make a play that, that decides a game, you know guys like Kachuk and Barkov and McKinnon and McDavid will all make those plays. Can you rely on Zabinijad to make a similar play? The answer is probably not. 
All right. So to expand on that and bring that back to a little bit something more um, tangible, it's in the way they play. It's not just that like Barkov and Kachuk are looking to take over the game. It's that their style of play in particular is conducive to doing that. Zabinijad, when he's at his best, is when they are in transition, which relies on the other team to make mistakes, whether that's taking bad shots in the offensive zone so they can quickly counterattack, or pinching too early in the neutral zone, or misreading that cross-team pass where the goalie's in movement and it sets up an easier shot. Somebody like Barkov, somebody like Kachuk. Okay, so let's separate, because they're a little bit different in the way they do it. Barkov is as a puck carrier. He will take the puck in the neutral zone, go through the traffic, go to the net, and either set somebody up or take the puck to the net himself. Kachuk, he will dump the puck in and then go and get it, and he will engage on those loose pucks, and he will win those board battles, and he will park his enormous self in front of the net and make himself indispensable, where you want this space around the net, you're going to have to cross-check me out of the way and take a penalty to do it. Zabinijad doesn't play in a way that's conducive to taking over a game if you're playing a structured team. We talked about that two weeks ago in regards to, I forget what game it was. I want to say the Vegas game two weeks ago, three weeks ago, where it just there was nothing in the middle. They could not go to the middle, and Kreider and Zabinijad had to take all their shots from the perimeter, which weren't particularly dangerous, made Aiden Hill's life easy enough. And that's the difference. It's not just that those guys have like this innate, like God-given ability. It's that their talent translates better to doing something that's repeatable over and over again. What Zabinijad does is it's um it's out of structure. It's not inherently replicable because it's unpredictable. And if something is unpredictable, that means it's hard to do over and over again. And that's where we've seen Zabinijad and Kreider struggle at times is when they can't get the rush stuff going, they don't like working for their offense. They don't like playing that four check and cycle game in the offensive zone. That's, I think, the... I don't want to say that's like the big drop down issue, but as far as like the problems with the Rangers core, I think they don't generate offense in a way that is particularly sustainable because they don't have guys who can play at that level other than Panarin. Panarin is the only guy on this sure. team right now that is operating in a way where he is making offense for himself and everyone else based on just how he plays. That's the thing. Other teams, the Rangers are going to come up against on the way to a championship. They have two or three of those guys, and they don't have to be centers either. Like, you look at the Bruins. We can talk about Pasternak. We can talk about Marshawn. You don't need it to be a center. Like, hypothetically, you know, if it were Kreider who was playing great, if, you know, you think about Vegas last year where their second-line center at times was Brett Howden because they were playing Mark Stone on that line, and Mark Stone was good enough to drive the bus. I don't know if Zabinjad or Kreider are good enough to drive the bus for more than a game or two at a time. And that's the thing is, again, the Rangers are 33-16-3. They're, they're top three right now in the Eastern Conference. But we are looking at winning a Stanley Cup. We're yeah. not looking at being the best team in the regular season, and that is what defines a successful Because the Rangers are good at that. The yeah. Rangers are good at the being Rangers a good regular really season. The Rangers are really good at team. winning regular season games, this, despite the glaring issues in their in their roster, despite the glaring issues in their defensive structure, or maybe the goaltending or what have you, they find ways to win games in the regular season. That's like that's fine. That's all great. Obviously, I'd rather the Rangers win games in the regular season than lose them. That's you know that that's that, the point. That's the point. But we are looking at April and beyond. We're looking ahead to okay. Well, this is how they play. This is what this is what they're 
biggest issue is, and these are the problems that come with them, and how will they translate come April into June? April through June are the, obviously the most important parts of the season because it's playoff time. So if you don't even play it, if you if you get knocked out, you don't play in you know in May, you don't play in June, you're out, you're watching on TV just like the rest of us. So it's a it's a fundamental issue that the Rangers currently have, especially on their for uh, on their forward group, and we've seen this for multiple seasons now. This is not a first season problem with these top players that the Rangers currently have and have signed to ludicrously long contracts. This is who this team is, and this is who this team will continue to be. It's up to the players with their ridiculously long contracts to step to the plate and deliver for, for two months. Can they do that? I, they, they haven't shown it to this point. Yeah, I mean, again, it's not like they've been awful. That's, that's, I'm not saying that. That's not what we're saying. You know, don't, don't misconstrue what we're saying here. But you have to... You, you have to win 16 games in the playoffs to win the Stanley Cup. Can this core win 16 games in the playoffs? That's the biggest question that Chris Drury, that Peter LaViolette, that Jim Dolan, that Mika Zibanejad, that Chris Kreider, that everybody that is, a fit, that is affiliated with that organization has to ask themselves right now and coming into the deadline. It's the, the pieces that they, that they add. I'm sure they're going to be fine. I'm sure we're going to argue about who the Rangers gave up to get them. I'm sure that'll all come with time. But can those pieces get the core of this team to another level of play that we have not consistently seen the Rangers play at for years now? That's the number one question everybody has to ask themselves. They can keep. They can win as many regular season games as they want. That's all. That's all fine and dandy. That's that's great. The most important time to win is April through June. Can this core prove to me, to prove to Nick, prove to everybody else that they are capable of doing that? And I don't know if the answer is yes. So I think when we talk about it in this macro kind of philosophical, like if this were a class, if this were hockey 304, and we're trying to diagnose the issues and how you would go about solving them, I think the one element that's difficult here. And I think this actually also ties into the Super Bowl because I was having a conversation with somebody about Kyle Shanahan earlier. They are just good enough that you believe they can get to one level better than this. They are just good enough where we've seen Zabinijad go nuclear hot for two weeks. We have seen Chris Kreider score 50 goals. We have seen Panarin be a Hart Trophy candidate. We have seen Adam Fox be a Norris Trophy guy. We have seen Shesterkin be a Vesna guy. Those guys at their top ends, they're all good enough at their top ends. You know, their top 1% outcomes, those versions of these players are good enough to get over this hump to be what we want them to be as a team. To get there consistently is going to require a level of commitment from this group that we frankly haven't seen. You talked about it in the context of the Chicago game, and I think it's been true at various points this season where they are entirely too comfortable. There is nobody pushing for spots in the lineup. Everybody plays with who they want to play with, unless you're Kako, for whatever reason. Everybody else gets to play with who they want, but him in particular, for whatever reason, doesn't. So you're not as amenable to change, to trying to figure things out. Well, if push comes to shove, is Truba going to be okay with playing somebody that's not Keandre Miller? Are we going to be able to break up Zabinjad and Kreider if it's not working? 
I like the fact that when shit got a little hairy against Colorado last Monday, Laviolette looked around and said, okay, we got to put Panarin out there because he's the one guy who's getting offense going with Zabinijad, and it ultimately resulted in the goal. I thought what Laviolette was trying to do in the third period of the Chicago game where mixing up the lines, trying to do something to get Zabinijad and Kreider going, that was the right idea. Can this group find that level of commitment and dedication to playing the way they want to? Because it's easy to play like that, get out to a lead, and then turn it off. That has been the story of the Rangers for a long time. When the games are easy and it comes to them without a lot of work, they're really good at turning games into track meets against bad structure teams, funneling pucks to the middle, crossing passes, drawing power plays, scoring on the power play. They're great at that. Can they muck it up? Can they be in the offensive zone for a minute and a half, two minutes, and really work for their offense? I don't think so. But that's why they play the games and why it's so frustrating. Because, like I said, we know these guys can be great. Can they be great for two months? They haven't done it before, and they're only getting older. So, you know. That's the biggest thing, is they have shown greatness in inconsistent patterns. So how can we then turn around and expect them to be consistent for two months. That's that's the basis of our whole conversation. We've we've talked about it for 44 minutes here. We've talked about it for weeks upon weeks upon you know weeks before. One game they're great. Next two they're bad. Next two they're great. Next three they're bad. Next two, you know like we never know what to expect from them on a game to game basis. So how can we then, after seeing the way that they've played for years now? Turn around and say, "Oh, it's fine because come playoffs, I'll just be consistent for two for two months, and then they'll win a championship." That's that's not that's unreasonable to assume that, given the mountain of data that suggests otherwise. And I think that's the thing. I think people don't want to think they're wasting their time watching their favorite team. I think that's part of the reason a lot of people are inclined to give these guys the benefit of the doubt with a lot of this stuff because. They sit there and they watch 82 regular season games. They're lunatics and watch the six preseason games. They consume content. It's, it's us, by the way, the lunatics. I just want. Oh, to I don't watch all the preseason games, dog. I watched I, maybe two of those yeah, this year. I, I have an I, eye, I have like a half an eye on them, but I'm not. I'm not sitting there taking notes. No, and that's the thing. I think a lot of people don't want to grapple with the fact that the Rangers are good. They're probably the third or fourth best team in the East. It's not a terrible place to be. But you start thinking about this, and we talk, We start theorizing it out. If they stay in first place, they are going to play Detroit, the Islanders, maybe the Devils. They play a team of that tier in the first round. Okay. Then round two, you're talking about either Carolina or the Flyers or one of those other teams because of the way the divisions are lined up. And then you're going to play... I, I can't even say Toronto with a straight face in the conference finals. Uh, <laughs> the Panthers probably are the best team in the Atlantic. So you're going to play the Panthers in the third round. And then you're going to play Dallas, Vegas, Edmonton, Colorado. That's a rough path, man. Uh, to try and win every game two to one, three to two for two months with that is the path. If you want to say you're not that scared of, you know, the Flyers, the Devils, the Islanders. Okay. I would not take any of those teams lightly. I, the Flyers, maybe, I would take a little lightly, especially with their goaltending situation. But 
I wouldn't want to see the Islanders or the Devils in the first round. I frankly wouldn't want to see Carolina in the first round. Carolina has kind of been in a, a playoffs. I'm trying to think. They've been trying to push for a playoff spot basically since November because they came out of the gate so slow. Kind of like how Edmonton's been playing playoff games for three months now. That's effectively what Carolina's had to do. I would not want to have to play an angry, pissed-off team. There is not an easy path to the Stanley Cup, and I think a lot of people are, well, the Rangers have been in first place all year. That's great. So are the Bruins, and the Bruins were a lot better. The Bruins, Bruins won the, all, pretty much all game, like every game last season. And then they got to the first round and they got and they got dismantled Bounce. by Florida. All right, I wouldn't say dismantled. They did lose three I mean, games in at the end time. of the, at the end of the day when you win that many games and the and the expectation is Stanley Cup or bust, you got dismantled. I'm sorry. Yes, I understand they lost in game 7. I I, I they get They lost all, three games in overtime. I get I get all of that. Listen, I get all of that. It's still a dismantling because of how high the expectations were comparatively to what happened. Yeah, okay. I I won't use that word, but if Andrew wants to say dismantled, sure. Um the last thing I wanted to talk about. Obviously, on, like, if you look at game to game, score by score, like, obviously they didn't get dismantled, but when you, what was it, 65 regular season games last season like that, that they won? And you lose in the first round? Brother? Like, that's, you know, that's, and that's, that's part of what we're talking about is Rangers can win as many regular season games as they want. But come to playoffs, if they're playing the same way that they're playing now, you're going to face the same result that Boston had. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. And the last thing I want to touch on before we get out of here, they're going back to Shesterkin tonight, which I think they have to do. And I know there's been an ungodly amount of conjecture because there are people who know better who are fuel throwing gas on the fire for really no reason. Um, if they don't get Shesterkin going, all of this is moot. On no planet do I have faith 38-year-old Jonathan Quick can take a starter's workload for the final two months of the season and be the day one starter in the postseason. If Shesterkin cannot get to slightly above league average by the end of the regular season, they're an easy first-round exit. I, I, I don't have any hesitation in saying that. They really need to get him going, and they need to play better in front of him. I mean, the way they played in front of Quick against Colorado is arguably the best defensive game the Rangers have played all season to only concede one goal to Colorado. And then those schmucks go and give up three against Chicago. I mean, poor Shesterkin, man. But the, the Rangers have done this. Oh, yeah. For, they did this to Lundqvist forever. They did this, they've been doing this for 20 years now where they, they play a different style of hockey with one goalie in net versus a different goalie in net. If, whether it be... They played really well when Cam Talbot was in net for the Rangers. Like when when Yaro Halak was in net, they played differently. They play differently depending on who their starting goaltender is. And I just wish that wasn't the case. I just wish they played better. Like, they again, and we talked like, again. Like this is another example where you played really well against Colorado. Why then do you give up three goals, two very late goals especially, against a trash can bottom-feeding team like Chicago. Where is the consistency? There is none. That's the conundrum. Calgary will be interesting because Calgary does not have high-end talent. What Calgary has is nine pain-in-the-asses who will dump the puck in, go and get it, tie you up in the corner, and force you to work for all 200 feet. Something that, frankly, the Rangers just aren't good at. 
The Rangers aren't good at winning loose pucks. They aren't good at winning battles along the boards. So this is a good test. Uh, the backline Manjapani and Blake Coleman line has been really good for them. Kuzmenko has looked really good since he's gotten there because he's just been given a lot of runway. And sometimes that's what you need in your change of scenery is just more ice time and you get better results. So, And Markstrom has been great. I think he was the first star of the NHL for the month or the week, excuse me. He went 3-0 and last week. I think Markstrom is supposed to get the start tonight. So this is a good test for the Rangers because this is not a team that plays a style that is usually something the Rangers are good at. Hold on to your seats. We're we're in for another week of potentially inconsistent play. So we'll hold, you know, we'll 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 hope for the best. Hopefully they get this trade done soon, man. I can only do Blake Wheeler for so much longer. <laughs> and I know it's not his fault. He wasn't brought here to yeah. play first line right wing, but God, does every play just die on his stick. Remember, remember during the summer people call it were people were calling it the the best for, or like one of the the like most underappreciated or under the radar signings of of the off season it's like yeah i don't i don't i don't know if you know this but blake wheeler is really old really slow and doesn't do much anymore so i and we talked about this when it happened when it happened we were like what is he here for because no one really knows yeah he to be the ninth forward it was fine schematically but one injury and he's played first line basically for three months now i want to say i want to say it was about early december when he got up there for the first time and he stayed there it's frustrating man because the plays just die on his stick he does not have the feel anymore um let's get out of here we can shout out our new subscriber real quick since last week and then we'll get out of here new subscriber is steve 2962 thank you for your subscription thank you for your support if you uh want to also be shouted out we can see new subscribers on youtube we can't see if you are a new follower on apple Podcasts or spotify or twitter or whatever let us know give us yeah. you know send us a screenshot and we will shout you out in the next episode it's all about the community and uh i don't know if this is as much of a community as it is um What's the Jack Nicholson movie? One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, where we're all just sitting around looking at each other, starting to break out laughing for no real reason. That's what it kind of feels like to be a Ranger fan right now, because no one's got any idea what's going on. And no. But no one's got I, any- I do know one thing that's going on. The Maple Leafs are not happy that, uh, that, that Greg did what he did in the empty net. But you know what? Maybe don't cross-check somebody in the head because of it. I, but I, I, that's... Uh, you know, I I'm just uh I'm just somebody that talks about hockey, so I'm clearly not an NHL player. So pro, so what do I know? Also, Ryan Reeves was like the Ryan Reeves answer of like you know back in my day this wouldn't have happened, but it's like brother, you're literally on a team to prevent that, and you did nothing. So uh, curb your enthusiasm theme song just play in the ba- plays in the background. It's the exact same thing we talked about with the Rangers when bringing in Reeves, Gaudreau, Blades, Blay, etc. Bringing in one tough guy does not make the rest of your team tough. Great, you took a dirty hit and your best defenseman is going to be out of probably two weeks worth of games, if I had to guess. That really got the me- that really set the tone about how losing is unacceptable. You know what would have been good for Morgan Riley to do? To skate off of the ice and blow up on his teammates for playing like shit against a bad team. Yeah. That would have actually helped the Leafs. Hey, hey, you know, you want to know the best way to prevent things like that from happening? Win the game. Win the game. Get good. Get good. Skill issue. If you, It is a skill issue. If you didn't want to lose the game, don't lose the game. To Ottawa. Like, it's not like... Tough, yeah. Like, hey, if you don't want Ottawa to to dance around you like that, win the game. How about that? You know, like, it's... if if Ottawa if Ottawa 
beats you that hard to to have the confidence to do that, that's on you, my guy. That's not on Ottawa. It's that simple, man. A lot of this unwritten rule shit is just ego stroking for insecure people. The, Who gives a shit how he put the puck in the net? Yeah. If he tapped it in, is Morgan Riley going to f- knock his head off? No. But Morgan Riley did what an immature child does. You know how kids in middle school beat the shit out of each other all the time because they can't control their emotions? And then when you get to high school and you can get arrested for getting in a fight, people stop fighting? It's the exact same thing. Morgan Riley is going to get at least five games. Yeah, he got an in-person hearing for that. Yeah, he's getting at least five games, which is two weeks worth of games. At a time where the Leafs have one good defenseman, they cannot afford to be making stupid decisions like that. It is just mind-numbingly stupid. The best tweet that I saw was was from Wyatt Arntz uh, at the stanchion uh, when it, when this happened. He said, hockey is just the most fascinating blend of suck it up, be a man, and play through that broken leg. And that dude took a hard shot on our empty net. This has hurt our feelings. He must die. Like, it's such a, like, this sport is such a silly cluster of, of personality sometimes. It's, like, it's it's great a lot of times. Then you get moments like this. It's just, like, yeah, if you don't want that to happen, how about you beat a team that's bad? How about you do that, Toronto? Winning solves all your issues, man. You don't have your your best defenseman cross-checking AHLers in the head if you beat bad teams. I mean, it's that simple. Just get good. Yep. Uh, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Liberty Blue Pod. We will be back next week live on Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube Monday at 6 p.m. I will be at Rangers Flames tonight. Uh, see you guys next week. Later.